Hey, we, we are skipping chapter 5, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I've got to wrap this thing up. I, I sit in meetings throughout the week, and I'm like, man, I want to preach on Advent. we got to do a season for gratefulness for Thanksgiving. And they're like, dude, you're seven deep in burnt stones, and it was supposed to be four messages. Like, when is this one going to end, right? So I'm, I'm guilty of this all the time, but I really, really do. I want to preach through a season of Advent so our church can walk through the entire Advent season during Christmas. We've got Thanksgiving coming coming up. So I've got two, maybe three weeks to wrap all of this up. And, and for those, just to wrap your mind around this, we're not preaching through the book of Nehemiah. We're preaching through a theme throughout the book of Nehemiah. If you want to read through the book of Nehemiah, I would encourage you to do so because there are little bits and pieces here and there. But overall, the, the theme of rebuilding and building is what Nehemiah is all about. Chapter 5 is a, a chapter dedicated to Nehemiah pulls the people together, right? Because they're in this event and they're trying to rebuild the city. Here's your, your sermon in 60 seconds on chapter 5. Chapter 5, Nehemiah gathers them all together and he says, hey, we've got momentum. We're making progress. The wall is really being built here, but in the middle of it being built, you guys are acting like babies inside of the camp. You're crying, you're whining, you're fussing, you're charging each other money, you're charging each other interest, you're leasing each other property, and then you're upping the rent on each other. And, and here's basically what he says. If we can't get united in here, how on earth do you expect us to do anything out there? Now I'm talking about it, I should have preached on it. Maybe we'll come back to it. But that's the message. The message is, my goodness, guys. We're building a wall to protect ourselves, and we're killing ourselves inside fighting amongst each other. Whew. This really does hit today, doesn't it? My good, We're trying to reach the world, and we're arguing about politics in here. What are, what are we doing? Like we're, we're saying, let's go out and let's reach the world, but I get offended when I have to, re, when I have to worship next to a Democrat. Like, what on earth? That's what Nehemiah is saying. Saying, you're, you're, we're trying to build a wall to protect the city, to build something great. And you're in here fussing and arguing and charging each other and doing all of these things that don't matter. Inside, you're killing what God is trying to do out there. Get me all wound up on chapter 5. Go read chapter 5. Then he comes right back. Nehemiah 6. Let's go 1 through 16. All right, let's dive in. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Did you catch that? The wall's done. He's finished the wall. He's got the hinges ready. He hasn't set the doors. Verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. I'll tell you something. Someone invites you to a place called Ono. Oh, no. Oh, no. You're not going to catch me in Ono. Oh, no. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, 
Samballot sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations. Don't you love a good gossip when you find one? Hey, they're saying this. Somebody told me this. Hey, I heard that, can I tell you something? Never live your life according to the critique of somebody, anybody, or they. Never. Somebody told me. The nations are saying, I heard this from another person and wanted to pass it along to you. And Geshem says it is true. Oh, great, he's a reliable witness, right? Oh, but Geshem said it's true. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. Verse 8, I sent him this reply. You're full of it. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. What does he do every time? But I prayed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah and Deliah, the son of Mehedabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. Verse 11, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Manipulation, lying and gossip, and now hiring someone to try and discredit. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets had been trying to intimidate me. Verse 15, so the wall was completed by the 25th of Elul in 52 days. That's right. It's worth a whistle. When all our enemies heard about this. All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Amen. Can't help but recognize the symbolism between what Nehemiah... Anytime I see a pattern in Scripture, it's worth leaning into. You see Nehemiah who gets everything done and right before the gates are completed, what happens? This massive wave of resistance. We see Moses, and Moses is ordained by God to lead the people out of slavery, and before he gets to the promised land, what does he have to go through? The wilderness. 
He goes through a season of trial. He goes through a season of temptation. He goes through a season of resistance. I think of Joseph. Joseph is ordained by his father. And then what happens to Joseph? Before he gets to the place where his father said he would be, he has to go to slavery in Egypt. Then he has to raise up through the prison and rise through the ranks to the place where God told him he would be. When I think of Jesus, Jesus comes, Matthew chapter 3, he's baptized, so he is affirmed for ministry, but after his baptism, what does he go into before he starts his ministry? Season of temptation, season of trial, season of testing. What is the pattern that you see? God will ordain something or affirm something, and then there is this time of testing. There is this time of trial. There is this time of resistance before you get to the place of actually operating in the ordination that God has given you. In those times, it is critically important that we learn to do what Nehemiah did, and that is push. Push through. Fight through. Keep moving forward. These are not the times to give up. Listen, if you are in here and you know God has called you to something and you know what he has called you to do and you're heading in that direction and right now you're in this season where you feel so much resistance, you feel so much pressure, so much headwind, you need to know something. You are in the heart of breaking through to what God wants you to do. And here's what you have to do. You have got to push. It's not the time to give up. It's not the time to quit. It's not the time to throw in the towel. It is the time to push. It is the time to fight. What do we see in every example that I gave you? The temptation to give up and the will to fight through and the victory that God had promised. The temptation to give up, the will to fight through, and the victory that God had promised. You've got to keep pushing. The other day, I went and picked up uh, I don't even remember what it was. My truck bed is just so full of uh, junk and there's like old boxes in there and everything. And I picked something up and I remember I set it in my truck bed. And while it was, it was sitting there, I fit everything in there but this last box. And this last box was hanging over about two to three inches over that gap between the truck bed and, and the tailgate, right? And so it's sitting there, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, it's all cardboard, only a little bit of it's fragile. What, what do you think we do? Guys, what do we do in this position? What? <laughs> Boom, right? And guess what happens every time? It clicks, it shuts, and you ain't even got to strap it all down because it's so smushed in there. Ain't nothing going to fly out, right? You just push that last part away. That is, the, that is the spirit that you have to have in this thing. That is the heart that you have to have. I'll show you something funny. The other day, this is a really funny uh, text. No, it's not funny. It, it is now. Show, show the picture real quick. Um, so <laughs> that is Zadok stuck in a Target cart, right? <laughs> How on earth? He did that. I have no idea. But when Anna texted me that and then called me, like, literally freaking out, it, it was really, really hot that day. And she was like, Luke, I don't know what to do. I, I got up from a meeting because it was two calls. You remember the two-call rule, right? So on the second call, I picked up her phone. I was like, hey, babe, I'm in a meeting. She's like, I don't care. Zadok's stuck in a Target cart. 
I was like, you, you're going to have to explain this one to me again. I'm not really connecting with She said, I don't know how it happened, but he's stuck in a Target cart. I unloaded the entire basket into the back of the car. I'm sweating, and I went to pick him up, and I almost tore his leg off, and now I can't get him out of there. I'm about to call 911. I'm going to call the fire department. I said, no, 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 no. This is not the time to call 911. This is not the time to get the jaws of life and pry him out of there. This dude is nine months old, okay? They don't even have bones until they're one. He's like Play-Doh, right? It's going to come back. It'll be fine. He'll walk again. But here's what we got to do in this moment. You ready? Grab a hold of that baby and pull him out of that thing. Go check in the nursery. He's there. He got a little hitch in his get along, but he's there. He's fine, right? There just comes a moment and you'll know it when you're in it that God is calling you to push through it. There is a time to rest, no, no doubt about that, but there's also a time to push, and if you know that you're there, this is for you, and if you don't think you're there now, you will be one day. You'll be in a position where God is warring with you, and you are, you are in this spot where you are ordained, you are called, you are affirmed, you know God, and I'm not just talking about ministry. Let's make it about marriage. You know God has called you to be in your marriage, to be faithful in your marriage, and to honor your spouse, and you guys are walking through this difficult time right now, and the temptation to maybe leave or to maybe flirt around or to do something you shouldn't is there, and you have to have the will to fight through it to build the marriage that God wants you to build. Following me here. It is this whole situation that Nehemiah is in. So three situations. We're going to walk through all three of them. Are you ready? Gee. Three situations. We're going to walk through them. Are you ready? Come on, I need to know that you're ready for a little life this morning. I came ready to push you to fight, but I can't fight for you. I came ready to try to raise something up in your spirit that's going to say, you know what, I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to fight for what God's called me to. And I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to lay down and I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep pushing forward. I want to raise it up in you, but I can't do it for you. Are you ready? Do burnt stones build again? Come on, do burnt stones build again? Burnt stones? All right, let's dive in. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 3 take you through every single situation. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. I know we just read it, but I'm, I love repetition. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. And we respond, oh no, no sir. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Verse 2, really quick, understand this. Not every invitation is anointed. Not everything that you are invited to is anointed. Not everything that someone wants you to be a part of because, hey, you could meet these people. And you, you ever been invited to a Chamber of Commerce event? I, 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 I'm, I, am a, I love the Chamber of Commerce. Hear me up here worming, right? I love the Chamber of Commerce. God bless the Chamber of Commerce. I went to a Chamber of Commerce meeting in Conroe, and I felt like I was at a speed dating event. 
I had people I didn't even know handing me business cards saying, we should connect. Hey, man, good to, good to see you. Love you, bro. How are you? And didn't even know my name, didn't know who I was, inviting me to lunch, right? And handing me business cards, and I walked out of here like, man, what am I going to do with all these, right? It's like, it is like, hey, that, that's what, that's what this, this temptation is. Again, no, no offense to the Chamber of Commerce. God bless the Chamber of Commerce. Love the Chamber of Commerce. If you own a business, go to the Chamber of Commerce. But when it comes to spiritual things, not every invitation is anointed. God's hand is not on every invitation that you get invited to. And think about the temptation, the pull from Nehemiah here to go and be a part of something with influential people. These are political leaders. These are regional leaders. These are the most influential people in the land surrounding him. And they have invited him to a meeting. Think about the temptation. People got a lot of followers, man. Could really put you on the map. Could really put your name out there. You have no idea the opportunities that could come along from this. You have no idea the doors that could open because of this person or this thing. Last time I checked, God is the one who opens doors. God is the one who does these things, not some man. But you, you see the pull and you see the temptation from Nehemiah. Let me ask you this. What if Nehemiah wasn't emotionally healthy? What if he wasn't spiritually mature? What if Nehemiah lacked focus? What if Nehemiah didn't have priorities? Let's rewrite this passage. Let's be heretics. Why not, right? Let's just rewrite Nehemiah chapter 6. Here you go. I'm going to rewrite it for you. I'll start with verse 1. Here's what happens if Nehemiah says yes, okay? Nehemiah 6, verse 1, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. So I went to Ono. And when I arrived in Ono, I was greeted with a beautiful steak dinner. They welcomed me into their fellowship. And then they came to me and told me, we have seen that you are a wonderful leader, that you have tremendous potential, that you have rallied a group of people and built a wall and everything else, but nothing but the gates Remain. It's incredible what you've done. So we want to invite you into our circle. And here's what we want to do. We want to make you the regional governor of the Jews. And all you have to do is be willing to submit to our ruling council and you'll become the governor of the Jews. We'll give you a giant salary. We'll give you more land than you've ever had. You'll be protected by us. You'll honor the king. It's everything you could ever want in the easiest dish Serve to you. And I said, okay. I said I would do it. And I fell asleep that night on some Egyptian 300 quill cotton sheets inside of a palace. And I woke up that morning to the smell of smoldering smoke. And I ran out of the palace and I looked at the work that we had been doing. And I saw armies running through the areas where I had left off the gates. And they were burning the city to a crisp again. They were tearing down the walls and they were killing our people. All because... I was willing to go to a place that I shouldn't have gone, to partner with people that God told me not to partner with, and to submit to something that wasn't the Lord. All because of not following what God wanted, right? Now that's not what it says. What does Nehemiah say? 
What is Nehemiah's response? I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work up here. You expect me to come down there? I'm not chasing the attention of the world. I'm looking for the anointing of God. And the anointing of God is on this wall. So I'm not coming down to you, and I don't care what you can offer me, what you can do for me, or what you will try to come against me for. See the difference? Nehemiah had his priorities set. Nehemiah knew what was important. And he was not willing to compromise that for anything or anybody. I just read a great book called Burning in My Bones. It's the biography of Eugene Peterson, the man who translated the message version of the Bible. And I, I tell you, it's, it's incredible. That is, a, that is a man that is, he's a legacy man. I don't think you can measure legacy until after you're dead. This man is dead and his legacy is only growing it's only expanding. It's incredible what he did. If you're looking for a fun book to read, uh, Burning in My Bones, Eugene Peterson's biography. But there's a part in it that gripped me. He, he, was, he was becoming a, a well-known author, and he was writing a lot of stuff. And you 2 the band, uh, and Bono himself used to, to read his writing, and they loved what he was writing about the Psalms because they would read the Psalms before every single one of their shows. The band U2, you know, massive band, would gather together. They would read the Psalms. They read a little bit of Eugene Peterson's writing. And so Bono himself reached out to Eugene Peterson. And he said, we're going to be in Chicago for tour dates, and we would love for you to join our chaplaincy for our band. And we would love for you to come out to be our chaplain, to pray with us, to encourage us spiritually, and travel with us to a few tour dates. This is Bono personally reaching out to Eugene Peterson. And you know what Eugene Peterson said? I'm busy translating the Old Testament right now. (laughs) For real. It's in the book. Read the book. There was a guy that was interviewing Eugene Peterson, and he said, you told Bono no? He said, what is wrong with you? Eugene Peterson I'm not called, said, I'm not called to that. That's not what I'm called to. I'm called to translate. Do you know the, 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 the maturity it takes to do that? Do you know the maturity, the, the, the emotional health that it takes to do that? He had his priorities in line. He knew what his priorities, Nehemiah knows what his priorities are. He knows what's important. Listen, when your priorities are in line, your decisions are pre-made for you. Do you understand this? When your priorities are in line, your decisions are made. They're done. I'll show you how it works. For me, priority number one, Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. Anything that is offered to me or comes to me that is going to compromise me being a follower of Jesus, what is it? It's a no. Nope. No, I don't even have to think about it. I don't got to pray about it. I don't got to talk to anybody about it. The answer is no. So then I have my wife, and my wife, Anna, is more important than my kids. I tell them this all the time. Zion, Cain, and Zadok, mama is far more important than you. We, we're, we, we got this for you. So when they come to her and they ask her something and she says no, and then they come back around to me and they ask me, what's the answer? No. Why? Priorities. I know what's more important. I know what the priority is. Watch this. We'll go another step further. My kids are more important than the church. 
So when my son comes to me and he wants to play and there's this ministry opportunity that's going to pull me away from, from being able to spend the time that I've committed to him or there's an extra Saturday thing or there's an extra Sunday night thing or there's a speaking engagement and it's going to interrupt something I've already committed to them, it's a no. Why? Because I don't want to build a great ministry and lose my kids. I don't want to have a pastor's kid testimony of him being upset, burnout, and frustrated because the church always stole dad. So he's with me all the time. He comes to church with me. He leaves with me. He can come in any meeting that I have. I'm going to hug him. I'm going to love him. And I'm going to encourage him. And then I'm going to send him on and we're going to finish the meeting. And he knows that I love this church and I love all of you. And I love being the pastor. But I'd give all of you up in a second for him. Priorities. You, you want to stop making stupid decisions? Get spiritual priorities. You want to stop making stupid decisions? Get your spiritual priorities, get them in order, and let them govern every situation that you make. And you just weigh it. It's going to compromise me being a follower of Jesus. It's going to compromise my marriage. It's going to compromise my kids. It's just going to compromise, and you just go on down. The, your decisions are made. You don't have to contemplate anything. You don't have to think about anything. You get the invitation and you say what? I'm up on this wall and I'm doing a great work. And I'm not coming down for a worldly work. I'm staying up for the God work that God has called me to. That's number one with Nehemiah. Man's got his priorities in order. Nehemiah 6, 4 through 9. Oh man, this is good. Four times they sent me the same message. Amazing. And each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sam Ballot sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter. If you have your Bible, circle that unsealed letter. In which was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Verse 8, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up in your head. They are trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will be completed. You already know where I'm going to end this. But I prayed. I think every time we've talked about burnt stones, we've talked about Nehemiah, who declares in the face of challenge, I prayed. I just stopped and prayed. The king asked me what was wrong. I prayed. They were coming against me, I prayed. They were intimidating me, I prayed. The people were fearful, I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. Verse 4, he asks him four times. And he gives him the English, Spanish, Greek, and Hebrew. God's four languages, right? He says, nope. No. Oh, you want the Greek? No. You want the Hebrew? No. You want the Spanish? No. You want the English? No, he keeps telling them no. And then the fifth time comes around, and what does he send? An unsealed letter. That's so important to circle. So when, when kings would communicate regionally with each other, there was no Facebook, there was no cell phones, there was none of that. There was face-to-face, -face, and there was a courier with mail. And the king would write out a letter, and after he wrote out that letter, he would fold it up, he would put it in an envelope, and then he would get some wax, he would dip it in his signet ring, and he would put his signet ring on the envelope, sealing the envelope, 
envelope tight. And that courier would carry that sealed envelope to the place it was supposed to go. And if that wax seal was broken, courier was dead. Was that serious? You don't compromise the communication of the king. You don't look into the king's business. You don't read the king's letters. The only time an unsealed letter was sent was when they were trying to spread gossip. When they were trying to create dissension. When they were trying to stir something up. So you hear what Nehemiah says. There's no truth to this. You're a liar. The letter's unsealed. You wanted everyone to read it. By the time it got to Nehemiah, thousands of people already knew what was going on. He's trying to intimidate them. He's trying to get the Jews to read a letter from a king that says, Hey, I see that you guys are plotting a revolt, and I'm going to kill every last one of you if you guys don't quit this revolt and stop the work now. They had already read it, so the people are already antsy, like, what's going on? Letter gets to Nehemiah. This is junk. He throws it away. He's over it. And then what does he say? They were trying to frighten us. By the way, do you know, no one can force you to fear. They can push you to choose to fear. The enemy, the enemy's he cannot force you to be in fear. The only thing he can do is try everything that he can to get you to choose fear. So he says they are trying to frighten us. Verse 9, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Man, if I were, if I were preaching this, this passage to college students about a relationship... I would wear this out. Four times he texts you. Four times he texts you asking you if you wanted to watch Netflix and hang out. And he ain't even got a Netflix subscription. He's cheap, but he's got a plan, right? So four times he texts you. Four times you say no. Fifth time, what's he do? He gets mad. He gets frustrated. He starts texting your friends. He starts posting cryptic stories on Instagram. He's talking about you now without talking about you because he's frustrated and he's trying in some way to manipulate and intimidate you into doing what he wants you to do. What do you answer with? Strengthen those hands. You strengthen those hands. Why? He didn't give you that strength, so he can't take it away. He didn't give you that strength. So it's not his to steal from you. And it's not his to steal from you with repeated messages over and over and over, with gossip, with slander, with posting on social media. Listen, it is not the world's strength to steal from you, so don't give it to him. You're facing this tension, and you're trying to break through, and all of these things are trying to steal your strength so you will be afraid. What does Nehemiah do? He turns to the Lord and says, Lord, strengthen these hands. This thing is out of my reach, but it's right in your wheelhouse. Strengthen my hands. Build me with strength. Keep me going. There's no truth to this. I can't control the narrative, but what I can do is I can turn to you and I can ask you for strength. When they're wearing you out, they're saying things that aren't true, sending around unsealed letters and begging and begging and begging and begging and begging. Strengthen your hands. And then he finishes here. Nehemiah 6, 10 through 13. This is great. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah and Deliah, Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a shut-in in his home. 
He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. Verse 11, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Verse 12, circle this, I realized a great Hebrew word that translates in the Greek to discernment. I discerned. I discerned something in the Spirit. God spoke to me. Verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Verse 13, he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would, leave, they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Verse 12, he says, but I realize there is something lost when we, when we start to talk about discernment. There's a disconnect. Let me, let, me, let me define discernment for you. It is a divine intuition from the Holy Spirit to decide between truth and error. This is what discernment is. Discernment is a divine intuition from the Holy Spirit to decide between truth and and error. There are three ways to grow in discernment. Number one is to stay in prayer. What do we see over and over and over? What does Nehemiah do every single time? He does it more times than there are chapters in the book. He prays. He stays in prayer. Number two, how do you grow in discernment? Study God's word. You have to know the truth so you can discern the error. You have to know the truth. Why are we running around freaking out about stuff all the time? Because we get more truth from Google and Fox and CNN and Facebook than we do right here. It's simple. If you open this up and you study what this says and you commit your life to living it out, every decision is made for you. It's not that hard. But you have to study God's word. And then number three, you have to remain sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's three S's. Stay in prayer. Study God's word sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Look at Nehemiah's example in verse 11. I love this. He says, should a man like me run away? Should a man like me run away? Should a man like me be afraid? Should a man like me get off of the wall and quit the work to run away because someone is telling me that people are coming to kill me? He's been living through this. He already knows God's called him to stay on the work. So he's discerning. Right now he's asking these discerning questions. Should a Christian like me be in this place? Should someone like me be sending these messages? Should someone like me be entertaining these conversations? Should someone like me be looking at these things on the internet? He's asking these discerning questions, saying, should someone like me be doing that? And then look at number two, Nehemiah is a man that knows the word. He says, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? Nehemiah knows if he's not of the priestly garment, if he's not from the tribe of priests, what is the Old Testament law? Man walks in to the temple, to the holy place, and he is not part of the priestly garment. He's a dead man. You don't go into those spaces. So he's discerning here, and he's asking discerning questions, and he's weighing it against God's word, and he's saying, you know what? I realize something 
is off. And I realize it's off because it doesn't weigh with what God has been speaking to me about. And it doesn't weigh with God's word. And when I take those two things and I say, is God calling me to do this? I'm going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to remain in prayer. I'm going to weigh it against God's word. Does it match God's word? When the answer is no, I've discerned the truth. And the truth is, I will not go. And early on, when we started the church, I had a guy who approached me, and we had, we had been cordial. I was, I was serving at uh, another church, and, and we had known each other for a while. And he had approached me, and, and he said, and, and this should have been early on. I mean, we were just starting to build a launch team, and there are two things you're praying for when you're building a launch team outside of God's anointing. You're praying for people and money. Takes those two things to start a church, people and money, and you have to have the hand of God on all of it, right? So we're praying for these two things. Lord, send us people. Lord, send us the funds that we need. And this guy comes up to me, and he says to me, he says, hey, he says, uh, uh, my wife and I, we're really excited about the work that you're going to do in Huntsville. And I was like, man, that's so awesome. Great. And he said, yeah. He said, you know, we just sold a business and made $3 million on this, this business that we sold. And, you know, we got to pay tithes to the Lord. So I was wondering if you want to go to lunch. Right? Like, is the Pope a Catholic? Yeah, I'll go to lunch. Like, I'm picking up what you're putting down here, brother. I know what you're saying. I'm reading between the lines. So we go and we sit down to lunch, and he's sitting there. And, I mean, it was so awkward. He's got a checkbook here. He's got his phone, and he's sitting there, and he's talking to me, and he's encouraging. And he's like, man, we just believe in you. We believe God's hand is on you. And, man, we want to support you. And then these words came out of his mouth. All I need you to do for me. And I am telling you, static in my spirit. Shh. I, I mean, you talk about discernment. Right when I, you know what, you know what I went to? Uh, I, right when I heard that Acts 8, 18 through 20 popped into my mind. Someone tries to buy the vision, right? This is Simon. And Simon sees people getting healed. Simon sees people getting their hands laid on them and receiving the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues and salvation happening. In Acts 8, 18 through 20, it says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, but Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. The Greek translation, that's pretty weak right there. Peter says, you and your money can go to hell. That's what Peter says. You and your money can go to hell for thinking you can buy this whole thing. So I'm sitting there at this lunch, and he says, all I need you to do for me is put me over the marriage and family ministries. Like, well, I mean, it was, so I looked at him, and I said, you and your money can go to hell. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. (laughs) But I I thought about the Peter route, right? But I looked at him, and I said, you know, I said, "I, I, I am grateful for that. Uh, appreciate your heart to serve there. We already have uh, the world's best in Maggie Russell that serves in that role for us. And so we, I mean, yes, praise God. Come on, you guys know Maggie. I said, we already have Maggie. So I appreciate your heart. Is there anywhere else that you would like to serve? Tell me how awkward this cheeseburger got. He looked at me and he said, you know, it's a real shame we're not going to be able to support the church. Food hadn't even arrived yet. I'm like, can I get this to go? <laughs> and I'll pay for mine. I don't care. But it was so awkward. You know what I did? I left there, 
and I questioned myself over. I was like, what did I just do? Did I just miss out on, I mean, did I just totally screw this up? But you know what is so good about this? God, God doesn't need the world to make sense. God doesn't need things in this world to make sense for him to make sense out of them. Discernment is not intuition. It is inspiration from the Holy Spirit. And there was something so uncomfortable in my spirit. And look, I, I don't want to make a, a huge deal out of this, but I will just tell you, we absolutely dodged a massive bullet. A massive disaster that could fall apart. Why? Because of discernment. Because you take what someone says and you weigh it against God's word, you weigh it against what God is speaking, and then you respond, whether it's truth or error, you know what your answer is. We've got to grow in discernment. We've got to be able to discern all of these voices that are talking to us. Let me just be a dad for a moment. You have so many things that are yelling at you. It's crazy. You've got tablets, phones, TVs, people, on and on and on. And you have got to learn to discern what is truth and what is error. And you've got to learn to discern what is feeding your spirit and what is crushing your spirit. And you have got to eliminate some things. Parents, am I, am I there? Yeah? Amen? Okay, let's finish. Nehemiah 6, 14 through 16. This is so good. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophets of Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days when our enemies heard about this. All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God in 2007. Archaeologists uncovered the walls that Nehemiah had built, and they found a two-and-a-half-mile segment of that wall underground, and it averaged 40 feet in height, 9 feet in width, and it was still, they said, structurally unbelievable. They had to take pickaxes and break it apart to begin to pull it out of there. Now think about this for a second. You guys who are construction guys, wrap, wrap your mind around this. 52 days, no equipment, nothing like that, just a pile of burnt stones in 52 days, 40 feet tall, 9 feet wide, miles and miles and miles surrounding a city. What is the message of the completion of the wall? Let's recap this. Nehemiah kept his priorities in place. Nehemiah stayed in prayer and Nehemiah exercised discernment. And he was able to accomplish what we would all think was impossible with a God who can do extraordinary things if we're submitted to him we're living under his grace we remain in prayer we trust him for strength he is able to do what the world would think is impossible in the face of opposition in the face of slander in the face of lies and in the face of people trying to tear you down let's end here notice this nehemiah accomplished the work but the path to get there was difficult it was not easy was not paved in gold. It was not simple. So we'll end where we began. If you are walking through a season of headwind, you are walking through a season of difficulty. Three things from Nehemiah. Keep your priorities, stay in prayer, and exercise discernment. And you will see God build something you never imagined he could.